We're in the last installment of our series, Divine Shift. We've been looking at this, uh, the life and the teachings of Jesus, and how so often uh, they were a shift from both the cultural and religious norm of the day. Uh, many times are also a shift from our own cultural norm today. And uh, today we're wrapping up that conversation. And uh, here's the shift we're going to look at. But today, to give context, if you're familiar with the scriptures and the gospels, uh, we're going to look at the first time Jesus ever gave his disciples a command. Uh, the first one. He gave many, but the first one. Uh, and this shift that we're going to see that he makes with his disciples is to move them from being passive observers of the life of Jesus to being active participators in the mission of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that as we open it up, uh, you would speak to us today, Father. Uh, Lord, we just posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're Matthew 4. Uh, we're going to look to give context of where we are in the narrative of Scripture. Uh, Matthew 3, what we see is uh, Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness for 40 years. He was been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, this is the beginning of his public ministry life. In Matthew 5, he preaches the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so this is right before that moment, before he really preaches that sermon, before he really starts his, his active ministry on earth, he does this in Matthew 4. Uh, verse 18, let's read together if you, if you have it in your Bibles or it'll be on the screens. That as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Uh, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat, and their father followed him. I'm going to share with you three thoughts today uh, from this passage um, and some application for our life. Here's the first one, first point of taking notes. Uh, is you have to first allow for God's disruption. If you're going to move from being a passive observer to an active participator, which we're all called to do if we follow Jesus, then we need to allow for God's disruption. Let me give context to the passage. The Sea of Galilee was known for its abundant fish. Uh, there was a lot of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Also, to give you context, these fishermen... It was actually a pretty lucrative career. If you were a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee, you made good money. Uh, so they would have had nice homes, uh, a nice retirement savings account. Uh, their kids went to great schools. Uh, they, they, they were successful. And Jesus calls them to leave what they know and to come and follow him. He, he, it reminds me of Matthew a little bit later in the scriptures where he talks about this idea of denying yourself and taking up your cross. Maybe some of you are familiar with the passage. It's in Matthew chapter 16, and it says, he said to his disciples, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will Find it. This whole idea of taking up your cross and denying yourself. Now, let me, let me uh, speak for clarity purposes to an important theological and scriptural understanding. Salvation in Christ is free. Meaning this, 
your salvation, forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future, to have the abundant life Jesus promised, to have eternal life with him in heaven, that was free, well, actually not free, but it was paid for on your behalf with the blood and the body of Christ. Aren't you grateful? Three people are. Uh, But listen, salvation in Christ is free, but following Christ is costly. But listen, it's worth it. Because he says when you actually lose your life in service to me, you'll actually find true life. You'll actually find true fulfillment. It seems like a contradiction of terms, right? Because we live in a culture that it's kind of like it's about me and what I want and doing it my way. But he says if you lose your life, you'll actually find true life. This is a complete disruption. When he says deny yourself, he's actually saying completely renounce your independence. Completely renounce a life without me. And now follow me and find true life. Complete disruption. As I was thinking about disruption, I was reminded uh, when we had, Christina and I had our first child, our oldest, Hannah. And uh, give context, I myself I don't know if anyone in the room can relate to this. I am a book nerd, a proudly. Anybody else in the room going, you're a book nerd? Like your happy place is a room full of books. Come on. You're like, I don't need people. I just need books written by people. Uh, I, so I read lots of books on fatherhood. I was like, I'm, I'm about to ace this fatherhood thing. I'm about to be father of the year. Come on. Like father rookie of the year. If they have that title, I'm about to win this. I'm a little competitive, too. Um, so I read books. I even took the class at the hospital, you know, the pre-birth class. It's like all day on a Saturday. That, then halfway through, you're like, what are we doing? You know, uh, we took that class. I mean, I did all this preparation. But none of it prepared me for the first night home with our daughter, Hannah. And she was up every hour on the hour. Any parents ever experienced that? And you are like, dear Lord, help me. No one told me about this. You, you experience a level of exhaustion that just feels ungodly, right? Like, or no one tells you, come on, if you have a newborn, you feel these pains. How many times a day you change a diaper? Come on, one of the worst feelings ever is when you change that diaper, and as you put it on, all of a sudden, you hear them filling it again. You're like, dear Lord, please help me. No one prepared me. Complete disruption. But how many of you know, if you've, if you've raised children or are raising children, it's worth it. It costs you something, but it's worth it. Would you agree? Some of you are like, not this morning. Come on, somebody. I'm thank God they're not kids ministry right now. It's worth it. Listen, I want you to catch this truth, though. Anything of value in life will cost you something. To to be married, to have a healthy marriage, will cost you your singleness. To to get that, that, that medical degree or that doctorate or that JD or that master's or that BA, whatever it is, to get that will cost you hours of study, but it's worth it. To launch that business will cost you financial capital. It will cost you uh, hours of sleep, but it's worth it. And I want you to hear this. If you follow Christ in the ways of Jesus, 
it will cost you something, but it's worth it. It costs you something. To get, it might cost you your mornings to get up and read the Bible and pray when you either sleep, but it's worth it. It's costing you your Sunday morning to prioritize the gathering together of believers, but it's worth it. It will cost you your ego to admit fault and ask for forgiveness, but it's worth it. It will cost you money to live generously, but it's worth it. Why? Because Jesus says, when you lose your life in service to me, you find true life. It costs you something. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Pay the cost of following Christ. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Proverbs 16, 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Anybody here in the room, you, you would consider yourself a planner? Come on, any planners in the room? Some of you are like, I did not plan on raising my hand in service, so I will not raise my hand in service. Anybody here, you have plans for your plans. Like you have a plan on what you're going to plan this week. I am married to a woman like that. Uh, and because the two become one, I am now a planner. Come on, somebody. It costs you something. It had to cost me some spontaneity. But it's worth it. At least I tell myself that. I'm just kidding. She's worth it. But listen, that, that, he says if you, you plan, and plans are good. Plans are good. He says, the Lord determines your steps. Following Christ is a disruption. But there are times in life that God, through the Holy Spirit, will also disrupt your life or interrupt your life. Now, just to also give a framework, interruptions and disruptions are a good thing. Here's why. Look at the scriptures. The large majority of the miracles that Jesus performed were interruptions. Perhaps an interruption is an invitation to experience the miraculous power of God. But sometimes if we're so caught up in our plans, we have a schedule for our schedule, we can actually miss out on the activity of God because we've scheduled him out of our life. Be, be open. Now, I'm not saying don't have a plan. I'm not saying just be completely spontaneous and say, well, God told me. It's like, no, God didn't tell you to come late to work. You were just late to work. Come on. But, but, be, but, but allow the Holy Spirit to disrupt your life. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. This happened to Paul and some of the apostles. It says this. They went to the region um, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden, catch this, by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, by the, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Then the scripture says in verse 9 that Paul has this dream of a man from Macedonia pleading with Paul to please come to Macedonia. Now catch this. They had a plan to go to Galatia, but the Holy Spirit forbid them to go to, 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 to Galatia. That actually the Holy Spirit disrupted their plans to bring the gospel to Macedonia. Have you ever had a moment before? Maybe you had this kind of unction. Maybe you called it your gut or your heart to maybe do something and you weren't sure why. Or maybe not to do something and you weren't sure why. Maybe you got an invitation to go somewhere and something on the inside of you were like, don't go. And you're like, why? I want to go. But something on the inside of you. Now listen, it could be your gut. It could be the pizza you had last night. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, parakletos, actually means God. That sometimes what you think is your gut is the Holy Spirit telling you what to do, leading you. Years ago, when I was, uh, I was single, I was in my mid-20s, it was a Saturday night. And I remember I got two different invitations, one at like 6 o'clock, one at like 5 o'clock, one at like 6 o'clock. And uh, one was to go to a baseball game with some friends that night. And then one was to go out to dinner with some friends that night. And both of those invitations, I felt like, I'm not supposed to go to this. So I, uh, I said no, turned it down. I ended up just staying home uh, and, and reading a book. Surprise, surprise. Uh, come on, anybody else, your dream Saturday night is like just reading a book. Come on. Uh, but about two hours pass, I get a text message. There was this uh, friend of mine, a new friend. I had just helped her move into her new apartment. Her name was Christina Jowers. And she texts me. And she said, uh, hey, my, my dad, because her dad came in town to help her move. She's like, my dad and I are going to this place called the Skinny Dip. Do you want to come? And I said, girl, I am sanctified. I will not skinny dip with you. Um, I don't know what you think I, you know, I now owe, you owe me for what, you know, and I'm just kidding. Uh, it was frozen yogurt called the skinny dip, frozen yogurt place. And uh, so she invites me, and I meet her dad, loved her dad. Uh, and about two months later, I asked her uh, to be my girlfriend. And about four months later, I put, I put a ring on it. Come on, because I ain't getting no younger. You know what I'm saying? A little jagged edge. We ain't getting no younger. We might as well do it. Come on. That was the Holy Spirit right there. You know when jagged edge comes up in a message, it's the Holy Spirit. That's a word for some man in this room. You ain't getting no younger. You might as well do it. Put a ring on it, okay? It's been, it's been three years. You know, okay? <laughs> Just trying to help some couples out in here. Just do it, okay? Okay. Focus. Get spiritual again. But how many of you know, I am grateful that whatever it is, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit that told me to decline the first two invitations, I declined them. And I said yes to the skinny dip with Christina because now we're married. She's my wife. Listen, be mindful when you feel like I'm supposed to do this, or I'm not supposed to. Be mindful of those checks. Yes, it could be cold pizza, or it could be the Holy Spirit directing you according to his will, and perhaps your spouse. I don't know. Allow for God's disruption in your life. Here's number two, is then participate in God's mission. Participate in God's mission. He says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. He calls these ordinary men to now go and accomplish his mission. Now, remember I said this is the first command he ever gave his disciples. Now, let's read the last command that Jesus ever gave his disciples. It's in Matthew 28, 19. Many of you know this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. His first command, go fish for people. His last command, go make disciples of all nations. Do you hear a recurring theme here? Here's the truth I want you to catch right now. Write this down. To, become, to be a follower of Jesus 
means that you are a fisher of people. Or to be a Christian means that you are called to live on mission. The Christian faith is a selfless faith. It's not just about you experiencing the love of God and God loves you unconditionally. It's also about you loving people in Jesus' name. It's not just about you receiving the blessings of God in faith. It's about you sharing your faith with others. It's not about you. You have a mission. You have a purpose. And you don't have to discover, well, what's my purpose? That's your main purpose. Not from Jeremy, not from somebody, but from Christ. You are called to make disciples of all nations. And we're going to unpack that what that looks like, what that means in just a moment. We are all called to live this out. Hudson Taylor says this, the great commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. That, that's, it's not something we think, well, that's for some people. That, that's for the other people who, who, who are called to, to share their faith, not me. Jeremy, that's for you because you preach. That's not for me. No, the, the great commission wasn't just to pastors. It was to you. It was all of us have a calling to make disciples. Listen, you don't have to go make disciples all across the world. God's just calling you to reach your world. And he's placed you in certain places, certain neighborhoods, certain workplaces, certain schools, around certain people. It's not by accident. He's called you to go there as a fisher of people. So what's our response? Isaiah 6, 8. The Lord says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Say, Lord, here I am, send me. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, says this, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He goes on to say, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. To the Gentile, I become like a Gentile. To those under the law, I act like I'm under the law. He says, I do, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Here's what Paul says. I am intentional in how I live my life so that... I may reach people for the sake of the gospel, that I have different methods of different people because they have different perspectives and different backgrounds. Why? Because I do it all for the sake of the gospel. You know, it reminds me when you go fishing, um, not that I am a fisherman, although I did catch a large bass. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, be impressed. Um, don't be impressed. That was the first fish I've ever caught in 39 years, okay? Uh, <laughs> But I learned from real fishermen that, that you actually have some intentionality around fishing. That they told us there are certain times of the day that's best to go out. Go early in the morning or late in the afternoon when the sun's less intense and, and the fish are hungry. You don't want to go in the heat of the day because the fish go deeper under the water with the sun's glaring down. Uh, they also told us the tide matters. They would go out depending on the tide. Um, I, I still don't fully understand how high and low tide work. So um, I was a social science major in college. Don't blame me. Um, 
But, but there's like conditions you have to understand. And then the type of fish you're fishing, you determine the type of lure you're going to use. So there's some intentionality behind fishing. Paul says, there's intentionality behind how I live my life so that I can reach people for the gospel. And we are called the same as Paul, to be a servant of everyone. It's so fitting, this scripture, this idea, because, you know, Palm Sunday, today is Palm Sunday in the Christian calendar. To give context, Palm Sunday was when Christ came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were laying down the palms, hence Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of what we call in our Christian calendar Holy Week or Passion Week. Uh, it's this week is when, uh, concluding next Sunday with Easter Sunday, when Christ will give up his life on Good Friday for you and for I, and then he would re resurrect on Easter Sunday. If you want to learn more about Holy Week, it's a great study. There's some great Bible reading plans on the Version Bible app around that. But on Palm Sunday, what was surprising to the culture at that time is he came riding in on a donkey. Now, a donkey was like a workhorse. Like, they weren't, like, nice. Like, you were expecting, man, if he's the king of kings, he needs to be on, like, a white horse, like rocking a sword, right? Like, he needs to be looking like a king. And he came low. Why? Because he's the servant of all. And we are called to model that. So you are called to be a servant, and I want to give you some practical application on how we can be a servant with the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to do this because we can't do this in our own strength. And we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. Let me give you three practical thoughts on how you can serve others. As Paul said, he's a servant of all. Number one is to be considerate. Be considerate. Consider other people's needs around you. There's something powerful. Listen, people feel love when they feel considered. When you consider how what you're about to say or that email or what you're about to do at work will affect your employees, affect your coworkers. When you're considerate of your spouse tonight and you bathe the kids even though it's their night. When you're considerate of people, it speaks to people. Paul said, consider other people's interests above your own. Be considerate. Be caring. Ephesians 4, Paul says, be kind and tenderhearted. The scripture speaks to us being gentle with people, being kind to people. Kindness is attractive, kind, especially in a world that sometimes can be harsh. Do you want a way that you can be, as Jesus said, salt and light, is be kind to people who think and vote differently than you in 2022? Because we see harshness all around us. When you're kind, you speak kind words, you're gentle, you're caring, that's how we can be a servant. Lastly, be charitable. Be generous. You are, mo you are operating most according to the image in which you were created, the image of God, when you are generous. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave. So when you give of your resource, when you give of your time, when you give of your talent, you are reflecting the very image and nature of God, that you are reflecting the very love that God has for humanity. Be considerate. Be charitable. Be caring. Again, with the help of the Holy Spirit for God's glory. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul 
This is part of serving others, is to pray for others. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, catch this, so that you may know him better. That word know is the word gnosko in the Greek. It uh, refers to an intimate knowledge. He says, I pray that you would know God. Not just cognitively, but intimately. That you would have a relationship with Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, referring to the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I'm going to speak frank with you for a moment about Christ. If you think about this, like the grace of Jesus, that when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. When you wanted nothing to do for him, he gave everything for you. So you could have the abundant life on earth. You could have eternal life within heaven. Do you hear me? Who would not want that? Who would not want the grace of God? Who would not want forgiveness of all sins? So Paul says if people can't accept it, it's because the devil has blinded them to it. They've been blinded with religion. And they think following Jesus and the Christian faith is like every other faith, and it's a box you check. It's a thing that you do. Well, I go to this church, you go to that church. Oh, it's far more than that. Or they've been blinded by a fence, maybe a fence with someone or towards God, and they don't see the grace, the mercy of God. Or they've been blinded by the little G gods of our age, that they think that more wealth or more success or more power will sometimes somehow satisfy the void in their life. The void that only God can fill through Christ. So what does Paul say? In Ephesians 1, you pray for people. Can I tell you, listen, you exercise the authority that you have. Do you know this? That as a follower of Christ, through Christ, you have been given all authority on heaven and earth that you have more authority, you can take your ground against the enemy and his work on the earth. Can I tell you, I came back to faith in Christ in my mid-20s in large part because I had a mother and mom, you might be watching, I love you, who prayed for me. Can I tell you, church, pray for people. Pray their eyes to be opened. Pray for them to see how good God is, that he died for them. And the Bible says he wants everyone to come to faith in him. Democrats and Republicans. Some of you are shocked right now. I know. Independents. He wants, listen, those who grew up in a Christian home and those who are Muslim, those who are Hindu. He wants everyone to come to faith. He wants to forgive everyone's sin. He wants everyone to experience his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his love. Isn't that good news, church? He wants everyone. He wants everyone. So can I give you a challenge this week? This isn't for you. Write this down. This is for people in your life. Pray for, think of three people in your life, three. Just three. If you can think of 300, write down 300. But just three. You probably have three. Three people in your life who do not know of the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. Here's what I want you to pray. Pray the scripture. God, I pray that the blinders come off. 
God, I pray that you soften their heart so they can know of the hope of Jesus. Pray for them. Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Allow for God to disrupt your life. Participate in the mission that he has for you. Here's the third point. As in share the gospel of Jesus with determination. Share the gospel of Jesus with determination. Matthew 4, 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The first thing he does, he calls them, they follow him. He then begins preaching the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of what he came for. And I want to I I give some clarity on our primary purpose as the church corporately and as, the church, and as for our lives individually. Mark 16, 15, this is Mark's take on the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world, this is the words of Jesus, and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, you might be thinking, Jeremy, that's for you. No, he said this to all of his disciples. I'm called to preach. No, you're called to preach. Now, some of you are getting very uncomfortable right now because <laughs> maybe you have a, 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 a false perception of what this means. I'm going to unpack this some more. But I want you to hear this. Listen, the primary purpose of our lives is to make disciples in our life. Is As Mark says, to preach the gospel to all creation. As I was thinking about um, uh, the whole idea of the purpose of the church and our purpose in life. I was thinking of my, my flip-flops recently. And uh, we just had a little trip with our kids, and I was wearing these in the pool. And, uh, you know, I wear these flip-flops to go grab uh, the mail or uh, whatever it might be. I uh, love these flip-flops. Now, um, how many know flip-flops can serve multiple purposes? How many with your flip-flops, just if you feel comfortable, raise your hands. How many of you, you've ever swatted a fly with a flip-flop? Come on, anybody else? Come on. You've taken an insect's life because of a flip-flop. Come on, right? This flip-flop can also serve to stabilize a table if you need it to be, right? If its table's unsturdy, you can put that on to stabilize it. It'll be firm. Right, these flip-flops can serve multiple functions, but listen, buying an Adidas flip-flop to swat a fly is, a, is an expensive fly swatter, right? Their primary function is to go on your feet. They, they can serve other functions, but they have a primary purpose. Probably thinking, Jeremy, why are you talking about your flip-flops? It's kind of gross you're holding them. I know, I'm going to put them down. I did disinfect them, true story, this morning. Why, why are you saying this? Because listen. The church has many functions. So we do things in the community, like we partner with organizations and we provide food to those who are in need. Uh, we, we help to meet practical and tangible needs. But listen, the primary function of the church is not to provide food to those who are hungry. The primary function of the church is not to provide shelter to those who are in need. We do those things, are you hearing me? We also provide groups and ways for you to find friendships and community because that's part of God's will for your life is to have close Christian friends. Listen, we provide those things, but the primary purpose of the church is not to be a, a social club for Christians. The primary purpose of the church is to preach the gospel to all creation. 
As Paul said, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it has the power to save. That our purpose is not to just meet a need on this earth. It's to meet the eternal needs of people. Now let me make it practical. Your primary purpose is not to build wealth. Your primary purpose is not to be great at your career. Your primary purpose is not even to build a great family. Your primary purpose, by the words of Jesus, is to make disciples of all nations, period. Period. I'm thinking, Jeremy, I work at NIH. Or, Jeremy, I work in business. Jeremy, I teach. Jeremy, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home parent. How do I make disciples? How do you make disciples at work? You, you live out the values of the kingdom of God, or you live in obedience to the word of God. Very simply. You know, one of the ways that you can shine the light of Christ at work? Do your work with excellence. Any manager, managers in the room, leaders in the room, you notice your employees who do good work, don't you? Like, like, even if, like, you notice them, you're like, that person stands out. Can I tell you, the Bible says we don't just work for our earthly boss, we work unto Christ. So one of the best ways you can honor Christ at work is to do your work well. So show up when you're supposed to show up. Also work with integrity. If you say you're going to do something, do that thing. Even if there's gossip at work, don't gossip. Even if there's unethical practices, you don't engage in them. Why? Because you live according to a higher standard. You're kind, regardless of, the, of, of a cutthroat nature of maybe your industry, that you're kind. Why? Because you're, you're reflecting a king. Listen, making disciples may not change what you do, but it will change why you do it. But I'm not just here to build wealth. I'm not just here to build my resume. I'm not just here to get this master's degree. I'm actually here to glorify God. And listen, God loves the degree you're earning. God loves the work you're doing. He loves all that. He has no problem with success. He has no problem with wealth. None of it. But he wants us to make disciples of all nations. And then when the opportunity arises, share your faith with somebody. When the opportunity arises. And it can be as simple as this. I want to make it very practical. It can be as simple as somebody says to you, man, these two years have been hard. How have you managed these two years of this pandemic? Well, you know, it's been hard for me too. But one thing that's helped me is my relationship with God. See how simple that is? You don't got to go in tomorrow morning with your NIV study Bible and open up the book of James, right? And start talking to them about their speech. <laughs> right? You don't go in tomorrow and say, listen, repent of your sin. All right? It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And can I say this too? Sincerely. So many of you live this out beautifully. You really do. I know many of you personally. You do. You live this out. But it, it can be as simple as that. Just, when I, hey, how do you deal with the stress here at work? Well, you know, it is a lot. Or how do you deal with the stress of this doctorate program? You know, I have my days. But one thing that helps me when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I pray. Hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? You know what I found personally? When you offer to pray for somebody, most people, some people will turn, turn you down. I've been turned down. But I have found most people will say yes. If you say, hey, can I pray for you? And again, you pray a simple prayer and let God do his work. Listen, God does the saving. We just do the obeying to his word. We, we, we follow the leadership of the spirit. Make disciples at home. 
I'm going to speak to parents for a second, then I'll speak to those of you who don't have children or not married, but to parents. That Listen, your primary purpose as a parent, and please don't feel any condemnation. This is just a calling to, to what God's envisioned for our life. Your primary calling as a parent is not that your child gets a stellar education. It's not that your child is, gets a full-ride scholarship for their soccer. That's great. My kids play soccer. I care about my kids' education. All of that. Your primary purpose is that your kid has a personal relationship with Jesus. And can I tell you, they're going to look at your life before they hear your words. Do they see you prioritizing God? Can I be very practical? Your priorities will become their priorities. So they, do they see you prioritizing church? Listen, you might not think it's a big deal because, yeah, yeah I, I don't need to be a part of a church and Biblically, you should be, but I understand that. But listen, your kids, and I know my kids are in sports. There's lots of competing activities on the weekend. And please say there's no condemnation. But can I say this? I'm going to step on your toes a little bit, but I'm wearing slippers, not steel-toe boots, okay? Listen, your child's faith is more important than their soccer. Are you prioritizing the house of God and the word of God in your family. Is that okay? I love you. I'm stepping off your toes now. <laughs> but sincerely, it's important. It's important. It's important. If you don't have kids, man, do your, does your roommate see you living out your faith? Do they think, man, they're irresponsible. They don't do what they're going to say they're going to do. Do they see you as somebody who keeps your word, who does what they say they're going to do, who are excellent the way they do things? And then lastly, you fulfill the Great Commission as a part of a local church. You know, I told a group of people this this weekend, or this week rather, here at the church, the reason we have our dream team, our, our, our serving teams, is not to fill needs of the church. It really isn't. It's because the calling of the church is to be the body of Christ. It's so that you fulfill your part of the body by playing your part. That's why we have the dream team. So you can be a part of the body of Christ and fulfill part of your function that God has intended since the beginning of time here. That to be generous to the mission of the church, the mission of Christ. We are called to make disciples in all part of our life. To quote the theologian Charles Spurgeon, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're called to live on mission wherever you go. Tomorrow at work, you're on mission. Tonight at home, you're on mission. 2 Timothy 2, 4, God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Romans 10, 14, the apostle Paul says, how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We share our faith by sharing our story. You're just sharing how God's worked in your life. That's simply how sharing your faith is. As, you, as someone talks to you, you just share how your faith has impacted your life. If someone asks you what you did this weekend, you can simply say, I went to church. And they might follow up saying, you went to church? Tell me about that. Or they might just cut you off. <laughs> but as those moments arise, just share, share what God's doing in your life. You don't have to have the answer to all their questions. You don't have to have all of the, know the scriptures inside out. You just have to know, here's what the Bible says in Revelation we overcome the work of the enemy by the blood of the lamb. That's Christ. He did that. Many of you know the scripture. And by the word of our testimony. 
by your story. Like your story has the power to remove the blinders. They can see the grace of God in your life and they can see it in their life. And this week, church, we have an opportunity. This week, more than any other week, to share our faith. People are more open right now than any other time they will be this year. The studies show to share your faith. So I want to ask you to pray for people in your life. After blinders would be removed. They can see the grace of God. And then if you're not comfortable sharing your story, share your church. Hey, I'd love for you to come to sit with me at church this, this Sunday for Easter. We'll have a great experience for your kids. We'll have a great experience. I'd love for you to just come with me. Come see my church. Invite them to come to church this weekend. I close with a story in a scripture that I'll pray for us. It was uh, when I first moved here to the Washington, D.C. area, I was working as a psychologist. I worked with high school students, and uh, I was working at a local school. And we had actually moved here, Christina and I, because we had friends who started a church uh, here in the Washington area. And we just moved here because we felt like God was calling us here. Uh, so we just came to be a part of the church. Not on staff, just be a part. So I looked for work, and, and I ended up at this school. And while I was there, many people were asking me, so what caused you to move to this area from where you were? And most people here move here because of work. Um, so it's kind of odd because I say, well, I'm actually moved here for a church. And some people would just shut it off. They would ask no more questions. They're like, okay, um, glad you're here, you know. But some people were like, you moved here for a church? Tell me about that. And some people I was able to share my, my story, share my journey, share my faith. Well, one of those individuals, she worked across the hallway from me. Um, we worked kind of side by side. She was also kind of mental health support for students. And I shared my story with her. And again, most days we never talked about faith. It was like a few times. But most days, never mentioned it. Just, we went about our work. And then one, one Monday she came in. She said, hey, I went to your church this weekend. And it was a larger church with multiple services, so I didn't see her. I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, it was great. Left it at that. Again, nothing, nothing more. The next thing I know, she tells me, hey, I joined a community group. And the next thing I know, I see her greeting at the front door. <laughs> and she starts getting, like, really connected to the church. And here's where the story ends. Uh, about... Eight months after that moment, I actually came on staff at that church as an associate pastor. And about 12 months after that, we had a baptism. And guess who got to baptize? His former coworker. Me. That moment showed me you never know what a simple opportunity to share your faith. Again, I didn't come in, I never brought my Bible into work, I, I didn't give her a three point sermon. Um, I just shared what God did in my life. And now she has a story of her own. And here's I want that for you, the people in your life to share your faith. Luke 15, 7, the final scripture, it says this. This is the words of Jesus. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Do you want to know what heaven rejoices over? People coming to faith in Christ. 
Listen, God loves it when people of faith grow in their faith. He loves it when we feed those who need food. But can I tell you what heaven parties over? People far from God, having their eyes open, their hearts softened to the grace and the mercy and the love and the goodness of Jesus. So can I tell you why we exist? I'm going to put it simply. We exist to cause heaven to throw party after 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 party. Why? Because what does heaven rejoice over? People finding hope in Jesus. Can I make it practical for you? Can I challenge you a little bit today? If you don't want to be challenged, you don't have to receive this, but I want to encourage you. Your purpose to make disciples is that your life causes heaven to party. And I'm believing next Sunday, I'm going to invite you to do your part. Pray for people in your life. If they live here in the area, invite them to attend with you in person. If they are not in the area, you can invite them to watch online or find a church nearby. Pray for them. Share your faith. And let's cause heaven to party over and over and over again. Not just next Sunday, but with all of our life.